Okay, uh, um, we have a busy program today, so while some of you might still be dropping in, um, let's start. Welcome to a new online hot politics lab. Um, today is the last Friday of the month, and that's uh, what we call Graduate Student Friday. So it's a opportunity for graduate students that are affiliated with our lab or graduate students who are not affiliated with our lab to present some of their ongoing work. And I think in a time uh, of a pandemic with limited opportunities to network, uh, it's important uh, for graduate students to be able to present some of their work. And I'm also happy that uh, people show up to comment on their work uh, because I think that's equally important. So we have a full program, so I won't talk that much. We have two presentations. For the first presentation is by Haley Kelso, who is uh, a PhD student at the Department of Political Science, currently camping out in Melbourne, Australia, uh, uh, to uh, survive the uh, pandemic, but uh, is staying up very late uh, to present uh, to us some of her ongoing work on uh, uh, affected polarization in discussion networks. Uh, Haley, the floor is yours. We have a uh, present for 10 minutes, and then there's Q&A. As always, type your questions in the Q&A box. The second half an hour is for our own Zoom master, Christian Pipal. Uh, but first the floor is to you, Haley. Cool, okay, great, thanks Bert. So yeah, my name's Haley Kelso. Um, as it was with my introduction, I'm in Melbourne at the moment, normally based in Amsterdam in the uh, Department of Political Science at the UFA. I'm gonna be talking today about some work I've been doing on online discussion networks, diversity, engagement, and how these relate to effective polarization. So very briefly, effective polarization is rooted in social identity theory. Basically, the idea here is that we develop political identities which operate um, just as any other social identity. So in terms of developing in-group conflict, um, in-group love and out-group hate, um, I guess the thing is, is that the bias that comes from these political identities has been found to extend beyond political settings um, and can result in support for political violence. Okay, so a couple, there's several different explanations that have been advanced for the sort of growing effect of polarization that we see at the moment in a number of democracies. One of those that's quite well explored in the American kind of, uh, literature is partisan ideological and social sorting explanations, but there's also other ones that are much more media focused. So these are things like fragmentation of the press and of course the rise of the internet and social media. So the latter of which kind of talks to this notion of echo chambers and the homogeneity of information environments that we select into, um, either actively, so through selective exposure, for example, um, and also through creating, I don't know, choosing discussion partners um, and friends and whatnot online that we might agree with politically. The evidence, however, for echo chambers is quite up in the air. People disagree on, first of all, whether you can really whether really a homogenous information environment exists on one hand um, and second of all also whether the supposedly negative consequences that should come from these um, in terms of polarization and effective polarization whether those concerns are actually warranted one thing that people do agree on though is that there's this kind of golden standard that we should strive for in terms of information diversity um, and also diversity amongst discussion partners the idea being of course that Having diversity here will foster tolerance um, <clears throat> and kind of empathy, I guess, with outgroups rather than driving us apart. So this My Country Talks platform is one example of this. They seek to match people on different ends of the political spectrum or on opposing sides and have them have a chat, hopefully to kind of foster some sort of tolerance. 
This diversity discussion brings me to the case study I'm presenting today. Um, it's of UK Twitter during the general election of 2019. I'm quite short on time today, so to get very quickly to the point, I collected a lot of Twitter data in the English language. I used social network analysis to find the UK discussion community. Um, and I did it inductively. I didn't know where identities would arise in this case, whether they would be based around partisanship or Brexit. Long story cut very short, I ended up at Brexit. And this is what the extent of diversity looked like amongst their political networks on Twitter. These are communities that I identified through social network analysis um, and the division based on Brexit stance. Obviously, they're not very diverse. I'll come back to how I measured that though. Um, what do we know about this kind of effect of polarization online? Well, and social media use specifically, there's two angles here. One is that it could be effectively depolarizing, basically bolstering this tolerance kind of idea. The other, of course, is that it could be, could prompt effective polarization as we have more information about group identities um, and we can make kind of judgments a lot easier, let's say. Um, what I think matters though as well is engagement, um, both as it would be an indicator of political interest, but, and of course you need to be interested, right, to kind of experience any consequences of the information that you're encountering. But importantly, um, <clears throat> repeated continuous exposure to information and discussion would help you with, in terms of political learning to form stronger opinions, stronger attitudes and whatnot, which could lead to polarization. From a social identity theory perspective, this repeated exposure would increase the salience of your political identity which would mean you'd probably be more likely to want to protect that in-group status and defend against the out-group, perhaps through denigration. Okay, so basically I have two expectations that I need to cover very quickly. Um, one is following the line of echo chamber kind of thinking in this homogenous information environment. We should expect that users in diverse networks would have lower levels of effective polarization than citizens in homogenous networks. Um, but on the other hand, with identity salience increasing in a diverse network, it's possible that those users may be more effectively polarized. So I have competing expectations here. With regards to engagement, it's pretty straightforward. Highly engaged users should have higher levels of AP than less engaged users. In terms of an interaction between the two, I don't know what to expect. It's difficult to theorize. So again, competing expectations. One follows the echo chamber idea and the other follows more the identity salience idea and protecting um, the in-group, you know, identity. Brexit stance, very quickly, this was incredibly complicated and I'm gonna gloss over it because I don't have a lot of time, but I would be happy to discuss it further if anybody has a question about it. I trained a naive-based classifier on tweet and I managed to predict Brexit stance with predicted probability of 95% of a correct answer and the sample was split, remain 62%, leave 37. Overrepresentative remain, of course, as you would expect on Twitter. Okay, so talking about the independent variable here of diversity, what I needed to do is I took those communities that I showed before and I looked at for each user, what share of the community they're in share the same opinion as them. Well, <clears throat> as you can see, the mean is the red line and that was 0.816. So most people are in very homogenous communities, of course, with like-minded others. I recoded it into four levels, which you see here, excuse me. And I also tried to compute an individual level score in a similar way. I won't go too much into it. It's used as a control variable today, but basically it gives some different results to this community one. 
I will come back to that again. <laughs> um, engagement was very simple. I took the percentage of users' tweets on the topic of Brexit um, and recoded this into five levels as well. Uh, in terms of measuring AP, what I did was, is I created a dictionary, well, a list more or less, of ways of referring to the outgroup, which I took from noun chunks from the actual tweet text. Um, and then, yeah, I basically just looked for tweets that men made mentions of these and using the NRC emotional lexicon, if they used angry words to describe the outgroup, disgusted words or words with neg negative sentiment. So results. This is an example of what my additive model looked like. They all kind of look the same. Um, so just to show you, I use these interaction diversity, the gray ones. These are the control variables at the diversity at the individual interaction level. Brexit stance, of course, was in there as a control and the total number of tweets that a user sent. Main effects for community shared opinion. My group of interest is diverse opinions at the bottom. As you see, in all cases, well, they're less likely to tweet in a hostile fashion about the outgroup. That's, oops, sorry, that's the main finding there. And as it goes up, they kind of spread out. But you'll also note that in the top two, which are the two more homogenous networks, they're not significantly different from each other, really. Main effects of engagement, indeed, as expected, as engagement goes up, so too the, do all these measures, actually, of, that I used for uh, effective polarization. Okay, so when it comes to the interaction between the two, here I didn't find a significant difference between the more homogenous groups and the diverse groups of anger, but here I did for disgust. So here, the diverse opinion group at higher levels of engagement actually become more likely to tweet uh, in a disgusted fashion about the art group. And it was the same for negative sentiment the effect was stronger of engagement for people in the diverse environments. Okay, so very quickly, in total, basically, one is engagement increases, so do levels of AP in the way that people discuss the outgroup. Two, users in diverse environments have lower levels of AP than those in the homogenous environments, and that was across the board. Uh, however, there is some evidence that amongst the most engaged users, the diversity doesn't matter so much. There's a certain level of engagement where for the users in the diverse environments that they hit and then AP increases much faster at a much faster rate than for those in an echo chamber in the normative sense. What I need to continue with doing is with this is further refining my measures of AP. I want to go back to this list I made of target outgroups and add to it because I think it needs to be further developed. I also want to look at this measuring this at the sentence level rather than the tweet level. Um, and I want to add a second case study. Bit of a caveat is that this individual level diversity measure that I was working on gives slightly different results. What I find is that there is a difference between the most diverse group and the in-group echoes. So that's not the totally echoish environment, if you will, but the one step down. Um, so it is in the same sort of direction, but it's not quite the same. And I don't know whether this is due to incomplete data, perhaps something different's going on, or that the results I find are not just not robust, hence why I want to add a second study here and see whether similar patterns emerge. I guess the takeaways of what I've presented here is that my findings so far suggest that citizens' engagement with their information environment really matters, and particularly so for people in more diverse environments where we see 
the effects of engagement um, accelerate um, in terms of their relation to AP. Interventions that are designed, like this idea of just meeting somebody from a different political background and having a chat, this is all well and good for certain groups, and it certainly might work and might help for less engaged citizens, but perhaps not for people that are more engaged. It may actually make the situation worse. I guess the main takeaway then is that this golden standard of information diversity, it looks like it's more complicated than what we first thought. Thank you. Thanks, Haley. Um, uh, a high amount of information diversity in 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> well, it, it was partly our mistake. We, we reduced the presentation time just two minutes before, uh, before starting. Um, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, uh, super interesting uh, uh, paper, uh, and, and and for people who you know who don't know your trajectory, this is your the first paper, right, in your in your PhD project. Um, so uh, uh, questions, uh, you can type them into uh, uh, the, the the Q and A uh, uh, box. Um, uh, but since there are no questions yet, uh, let me uh, ask you a question, maybe a question of clarification. Um, um, now, you, you talk about uh, uh, effective polarization and uh, 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 engagement, uh, if I remember correctly, in sort of a strictly unidirectional way. But uh, it is, of course, possible that both can influence each other. So is, is effective polarization, is that a a a a a a a, um, a, uh, how do you call it? a stable feature over the research or is it a ver varying feature what do you mean by is it a stable feature over the research sorry i don't it's an individual similarly effectively polarized throughout the research or is this changing uh I'm not entirely sure I understand what you mean. I'm sorry. Um, as an individual, do you mean is effective pol? Because the way I understand your question is, is it effective polarization that comes first or engagement that comes first? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously I'm not sure based on this. Um, and I'm not sure in terms of theoretically, yeah, I don't know. This is this is a really good question. It's definitely something that I should consider. I had thought about it a little bit before that indeed it could work also in a reinforcing spiral type way. So that you may be effectively polarized already, which causes you to engage more and then substantially become more effectively polarized. But yeah, indeed, I'm not sure which would be... Or the other way around, right? So you, yeah. you did the work with Talia Stroud where this spiral is suggested, but it's actually the more polarized you get, the more uh, partisan your exposure is going to be. Right. So, Bert, you have a question directly related to this? Bert? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's also about effective polarization, but it, not one-on-one -on -one related, but if there's still no other questions. Oh, but maybe then Haley wants to finish the, her answer. Oh, sorry, yeah, sure. No, I'm good. I'm finished. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So my quick question, Ailey, is I understand effective polarization as not as only as outgroup hate. I expect mm -hmm. I uh, and social identity theory 
uh, definitely would say that there's also in-group love that is associated with this. And uh, as far as I understand the measure, uh, that's not taken into account. So, so I think, is this really effective polarization that you're capturing or out-group hate, which is, I think, at the individual level, not how the concept is being entirely being constructed. Yeah, that's true. And I had given some thought to measuring positive evaluations towards the in-group. However, it seems to be that I would think that in terms of expressing it and capturing this through an expressed measure, it would you'd be more likely, and also in the Twitter environment, to capture that out-group hate. Um, I do have the possibility to look into trying to capture positive expressions towards the in-group, but because of the way that I've constructed the measure that it's specifically about, actually maybe this wasn't clear because I was talking so fast, but it's specifically about citizens. So when I've constructed this list of like target, um, target phrases, they specifically refer to, for example, leave voters, remain supporting folk, or, you know, this sort of thing. They're these kind of combinations of terms. So I think I'm not sure whether Twitter would be the right place to actually be picking up on this describing the in-group. I think it might actually be quite hard to do. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a good point and something that I could look into doing too. Thanks. Just very brief. I could see Twitter being an excellent case actually of you know of showing in-group loyalty, like sharing stuff that you agree with. That that would be in-group love, right? Mm. Yeah. So you mean in the sense of yeah, that's true. But I was thinking because I'm I think it would be a little bit strange to measure it based on expressing outgroup hate if we will and then to look at measuring in-group love based on sharing um i would think that it would make more sense to measure both of them via kind of language if you will but yeah there are lots of questions um anonymous attendee nice to see you again <laughs> this, this joke is uh, perpetuated it's good we'll have a quiz at christmas and then one of the questions will be who's anonymous attendee uh, I have no idea. How did you differentiate between anger and disgust in the plots you showed? Self-reports often suggest that anger and disgust often go vary to high degrees. Okay, so those plots that I showed, the measures of anger and disgust that I used, they're just based on the NRC emotion lexicon. So that is, um, it's basic, which is basically a dictionary of terms that you can use. Um, there is a lot of overlap between the categories, but in this case, um, anger, oh, which was it? It's disgust and the negative sentiment that actually correlated at a higher level than anger and disgust. They only correlated my, me my measures of anger and disgust uh, at around 0.6, um, whereas the other two correlated at around 0.7. Um, but yeah, that's how I differentiated between them. I just used that um, tool. Sure. Uh, then Alex Knight, thanks Haley. fascinating stuff. Quick question regarding your AP measure. I wonder whether the negative sentiment component is perhaps too broad, as it also can include, to the best of my knowledge, negatively framed lexical components, for example, don't. In other words, to what extent conceptually is the negative sentiment of the tweet related to effective polarization? Yeah, so this is a really good point, and I agree. That's why I did use it just I guess I used it as, yeah, an additional way of looking at it, right? Because 
I use the anger and disgust that I think I agree that they're more kind of, those are those terms that would be more capturing AP than negative sentiment to discuss outgroup supporters. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that the emotion ones are probably more valid indeed, but I did include the negative sentiment just as an additional kind of way of looking at the hostility there. Okay. Marika van der Velde asks, uh, hi Haley, so cool to see your research in progress. We're watching the Hot Politics Lab at the big screen with the Free Polcom group. <laughs> oh wow, so there are like hundreds of people now tuned in. Uh, this yeah. question comes from <laughs> this question comes from Mickey Starrett. I do hope you're all keeping your distance. Uh, you measure effective polarization on the basis of tweet content, right? To what extent do you think content of the tweet is a direct measure of effective polarization? Yeah, of course this could be this could be debated, right? Um, I think that it's definitely it would definitely be considered an expression of outgroup hostility and I've thought about this a little bit in terms of the idea of people just kind of trolling and wanting to argue with other people but if you think about it that way I think that those people probably would potentially be effectively polarized anyway to pursue such an argument you know you have to dislike somebody to basically want to argue with them so whilst it may not be a direct measure of AP, I think it can be considered an expression of AP. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, Isabella Rabasso, uh, who submitted her first paper to a journal uh, yesterday. Congratulations. Hi Haley, thanks a lot for the presentation. Really great to see the progress of this project. I was wondering if you have considered that underlying traits such as being conflict seeking or trade anger could influence both anger in tweets and seeking debates with outgroup members could you perhaps measure this in non-political tweets to disentangle general tendencies to express anger uh, slash uh, debate online from political anger and control for this non-political anger? okay i've lost it a bit there at the end but i think i hope you get the question <laughs> Yeah, to I guess it meaning to like establish some sort of baseline there. I think this is a really great suggestion. Thanks, Isabella. Um, and yeah, I think it would def it's definitely possible to separate it from the non-political tweet content and measure just the general anger and look at how that differs. That's definitely um, possible, and that's a really great um, great suggestion. Thank you. <laughs> All right, continuing. Uh, Matthijs Rodijn, very interesting. You told us that we that you would like to conduct a second study in the Netherlands. Could you elaborate a bit on this choice? Why the Netherlands? Because of the multi-party context? Why not focus on a case more similar to the UK case? Yeah, the Netherlands, um, well, I chose it as a comparative case um, in the sense that I did actually want to study this in the multi-party context. Um, and originally I was expecting that it would be partisan identities that I would be looking at rather than Brexit, which was never my intended goal. Um, and I wanted to compare the UK being more of a, a two-party system in a way to the Netherlands and see if it was different. So yeah, I 
choosing the Netherlands more or less as a multi-party system. But at the same time, I'm not sure whether these, the identities, the kind of, the groups that people might separate into on Dutch Twitter are going to be partisan related or not, or if they're going to be issue related. And this is why I've taken an inductive approach to it so that I can transfer it to other contexts. It is possible that I could look at the US, but yeah, I'd like to see how it works in a multi-party system too. Um, yeah, continuing in that, 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 that question, um, I mean, I think this is a pretty sort of typical setup to, to think about multi-party, two-party system. At the same time, I think you've done so much in this paper already. Uh, it, it's, it, it's a bit difficult to sort of reproduce each, each part of it, uh, you know, after having seen the, the, the presentation. And so I wonder, you know, is, is it multi-party? adding another system where there, I mean, I mean, it's not just a party system that there is different. Almost everything is different. The language is different. You need to con, you know, conduct an entirely new way to, to measure the sentiment. The quality of the dictionary, for example, in Dutch is much less than, than it is in English. Uh, that in the end, uh, I mean, how much is a N is two comparison going to tell us about the difference between these two party systems in the presence of so many potential uh, alternative explanations. Um, you know, I think you have a lot of material to write a very interesting paper on this topic. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, don't feel forced to do the Netherlands because we pay your salary, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just a, 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 a comment. Um, let's see how much... I have a last question. If yeah, there's can. time for a last yeah. question. And, yeah, uh, so Haley, if I understand it correctly, engagement is the product of the number of tweets on the topic you sent, right? On the yeah. number of three. But I'm a bit worried about that. That is, that is, that is not the kind of engagement you theorize about, which is sort of sophistication uh, or interest, as you sort of the citations you say and. Uh, so theoretically, I'm not convinced that it's really capturing engagement as the, the literature would suggest, but empirically, I'm also a little worried to what extent engagement with the uh, issue is not also relatively highly correlated with being, uh, you know, your AP measure in a sense that the more you express also these, these sort of negative things, you're also sending more tweets. So is it actually the exogenous moderator that you'd like it to be? And what is it actually? that you're capturing it. Yeah, I know. I also, I have this concern too. However, <clears throat> in this in this regard, the way that I've measured AP, again, it's specifically utterances about the out group and at the citizen level, not elites, for example. Now, the this kind of engagement is indeed number of tweets on the topic but it's not just tweets with the keyword brexit for example it's tweets about the european union and all this sort of thing so it's a lot broader and the measure of ap yeah unfortunately it does come from those tweets so there will be some sort of degree of correlation already but because it's specifically about out groups within that tweet and not discussing I don't know, uh, I don't want Brexit. It's specifically targeted at capturing utterances about the out group. So I think that there's enough difference there. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you have any suggestions of 
what you think would be would be more suitable to measure this this type of engagement that I'm going for. I'd really like to talk about it because yeah, the only way I can think to measure it with the data that I have is in this way. And I think that it makes sense. Um, if you're talking about this topic, yeah, you're probably engaged in it, right? And you're probably interested. And I, I don't know how I could make that more convincing. So if you have any suggestions, mm -hmm. I'd be happy to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I'm a bit worried about is that some people say, yeah, it's issue engagement or is it now, so, so, so what is the concept that you're capturing? But if you can clearly define that, I think it's defensible and, and, and you can empirically show that the two are distinct, that that is probably also important. Um, okay, uh, now that I have the word, uh, Haley, I wanna thank you for uh, uh, this, uh, this great presentation and also the uh, engaging conversation that followed from it. And I also wanna echo uh, what Gij said, it's, uh, it's impressive to see what you've done, uh, seeing you develop from, uh, from uh, sort of uh, interested in our lab to writing your thesis with us and now uh, doing this, uh, this impressive work uh, also in this difficult time while you're far away from, uh, from the network that you're socialized in and your advisor. So I think uh, uh, I'm uh, very impressed. Um, thank you, Hayley. Um, now we're going over to our Zoom master, Christian Pipo, uh, who is going to give uh, a talk um, about uh, his work on the uh, emotional rhetoric of um, politicians. Uh, uh, Christian, I don't think need much uh, introduction, um, is currently also not with us in Amsterdam, but is in beautiful Vienna. Uh, Christian, the floor is yours, and uh, and do you want to specify a priori some things that you want people to pay attention to, or just I will do that. contextualize? Yeah, do okay. That. Um, can you already uh, see my screen? Does it work? I can. All right, perfect. I can see your screen. All right. Um, so what I'm going to do um, is I'm presenting my pre-analysis plan for the study that I'm currently working on, which is looking at emotional appeals in parliamentary debates. Um, so this is still very much in flux, and since it's a pre-analysis plan, um, there are, I will talk a lot about um, specifications and uh, measurement, and um, I won't show you any results. Um, so I would, I'm very interested in your comments and feedbacks and ideas um, on these things and how to improve the pre-analysis plan. Um, so emotions in political rhetoric, why is it important? Um, there are three main things why I think it's important. Emotions that um, are shown by politicians are used to create narratives. They can mobilize and persuade, and they can also transfer from politicians to citizens. Um, I think this is nothing new for everyone here in this group, um, but based on these observations, my question that I'm asking in this study is, um, what factors are associated with the development of emotional appeals in parliamentary debates over time? Um, why parliamentary debates? Um, Parliamentary debates have the, have the benefit that they're all recorded, so it's a long-term archive of political rhetoric. Um, and why over time? Um, just one quick snapshot of, a measure of an exploratory study that I did um, looking at the emotions in, in the German and the English parliament. Um, I don't go into the, to the measurement here, but um, both in terms of the polarity, meaning like how positive or negative politicians are, but also in terms of the arousal, um, how emotional politicians are in their speeches, there's considerable variation over time. So I think it's important to look at these things over time and pay specific attention to time-related factors. Um, in contrast, um, currently in political science um, that deals with um, the use of emotions by politicians, um, they look at, most often it's looked at either from a very strategic point of view, so that emotions, the display of emotions, the use of emotions, 
um, our strategic responses to the environment, um, either coming from uh, party competition, reactions to the economy, because politicians want to make use of, want to highlight that the economy is good or want to blame if the economy is bad, and um, the, the knowledge that discrete emotions uh, like anger or fear or disgust, um, but especially anger, fear, and happiness have, have different um, um, have different effects on, on, on different groups of citizens. Um, the other political science view that, that is dominant, that, that exists is that um, emotions are related to ideology, which basically means that, um, which basically says that uh, more right-wing politicians are more negative and um, that conservatives are more negative than liberals. And also that extreme politicians are, um, are more negative because they have different incentives of, of blaming the, the political order, the political system itself. Um, but what about time-related factors, the ones that I want to focus on? I want to focus on two things. The first one are linguistic trends. So the idea is that, um, that political language does not have, is not taking place in a vacuum. Um, political language is connected to, to developments of language itself. So what I'm gonna looking at is, um, I want to know how does the change of language in a broad sense influence the political language? So I'm looking at some of the first two hypotheses are related to that linguistic changes. Um, and basically just say that um, if, if, um, if everyday language or if, if, if language in general becomes more positive and also political language becomes more positive in parliament and the same goes with arousal. So um, if, if general language becomes more emotional then also I expect that um, political language in parliament becomes more emotional. Um, the second time-related factor that I'm going to want to look at is um, how much political language reflects the public mood. So the idea is that, um, that again, the po that political language and, pub and political debates in Parliament are not happening in a vacuum, so they reflect societal developments. Um, so my third hypothesis is about um, how subjective happiness in, in the public is connected to uh, to the to emotions expressed in Parliament, so I look at uh, so my expectation is that if subjective happiness in societies in, um, gets up in, increases, then also um, the positivity of political debates increases. And in connection to that, I also look at objective measures of well-being. So I'm not asking. I will talk about the measurement in a second, but this is about the connection between, for instance, the state of the economy um, and objective measures of of well-being in the society. With the same expectations that if if um, objective measures improve, then 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 also I would expect um, political debates in Parliament to become more positive. So the data I'm using for my dependent variable um, the, um, is based on um, the Pulse Speech um, version two data set. It covers nine parliaments from the end of the 80s till roughly 2019, and I use two two different levels of aggregation. I look at Parliament quarter aggregations for parliament level models and at legislature quarter aggregations for individual level models. Um, our measurement or my measurement of the dependent variable of the emotions, so I'm using the circumplex model of emotions um, which looks at the direction of emotions, is it positive or negative, and the arousal, the intensity of emotions, how emotional something is. Um, we are using a joint sentiment topic model um, where we developed an ARC package for that uses auto-translated um, lexicoder dictionaries, or you can use any dictionary, but we're gonna use the lexicoder dictionary, and improves the dictionary scores 
um, and, and improves them by um, adjusting the dictionary to, to the corpus that they're using. And I get two scores. Um, one, I get a polarity measure and arousal measure um, that will use an independent variable. Um, and then I construct two models from that. So on the parliament level, this is where I just um, aggregate all speeches in the parliament for each quarter um, and I look at the, at the time series of emotional appeal. So a time series of polarity and the time series of arousal. Um, I look at each parliament individually. So I have a time series for, for each individual parliament for each country. Um, and the units here are um, parliament quarter observations. Um, as I already showed in the, in the first snapshot, um, that these time series, these aggregated um, levels of polarity and arousal are, are, are not stationary. So I'm going to have to use a difference, um, difference dependent variable here. Um, and they're going to use a likely dependent variable model. Um, and what I'm including here is um, the polarity of, so in terms of polarity, um, I look at the language polarity in, in everyday language, which um, there are different ideas on how to measure that. One is to, to look at standardized Google Books corpora and how the language in, 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 book, in published uh, books and, and, news and, and magazines developed over time. I look at subjective happiness, which is a measure from the Eurobarometer surveys. Economic growth and percentage growth from the OECD data would, would be the, um, the, measure, the objective measure of well-being. And then some other things are going to look at where we don't, where I don't really have um, testable hypotheses, but where I'm just curious to look at um, what's going on there. This is the influence of the replacement rate of legislators, um, how much uh, cultural conservatism of, of, of the parliament of parties and legislators influences this, um, how different topics affect uh, levels of emotions um, and the size of the government. Um, at the individual level, I have the same modeling strategy, um, but in this case, the units of analysis are legislator quarter units. Um, this is basically a panel then that I construct um, with, with uh, many observations, and I come to that in a second, what that implies. Um, it's a similar model, uh, some of these, but the additional controls um, that are just controlling for um, individual legislative characteristics, like the gender, the experience, um, et cetera. Um, so to finish up, um, to stay in time, um, there are two, the two, um, things that I still, that I want to highlight and where I would, um, also would, would be very happy about feedback and input and ideas. Um, the first is the question thinking about what's an effect ultimately. Um, so this is a pre-analysis plan. So I didn't run any of these models yet. on so my data, so I don't, um, I don't know yet what the effects are and how big they are. Um, but the issue that I already see is that, in the, especially in the individual level models, I have multiple uh, 10,000 observations per model. So statistical significance is not really um, useful here because everything, most things will be significant. And there are not too many studies that, that look at, that, are, that ask similar questions and that measure, um, that, that relate emotions in, 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 in political debates. Um, to my variables, so no, I'm not really having a clear picture on on what other what effect sizes other people found. Um, so the so the question is a little bit: uh, what would I consider to be a big or large effect? Um, from what I've seen in other studies that that look at these things, um, that that looked at the relationship between the economy and emotions, 
they show very small effects. Um, so, yeah. Um, but the other thing is then, of course, the, the, the big question always about the so what. So what does it mean? What I could probably find um, relating to, to hypothesis one and two about the linguistic trends. Um, the results of this then basically just, just tell me something about um, what, how independent are politicians in, in the way they speak? How much is it connected to, to, to broader developments um, in the language and, 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 and how much room is there for politicians to actually go against how language develops and how the bigger system develops? Um, but it also, of course, begs the question then to ask, um, what does it tell us about the relationship between um, the way politicians speak and the way um, citizens speak? Uh, and finally, regarding the public moods, um, if hypothesis free um, that asks for the subjective well-being um, is, a, is a driver of, of emotions in parliament beyond the objective measures, then we should really re reconsider um, the way we also, for instance, talk about um, strategy in terms of emotions. It just, that would show us that individual, um, individual subjective happiness is just more than economic well-being. And if you study, for instance, party competition or uh, credit claiming of politicians by only focusing on uh, how well the economy is doing or other economic in indicators, then we're going to miss a lot. And I think that would be uh, pretty interesting to see. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to end here and I'm looking forward to comments, suggestions, etc. cetera. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Christian. Very exciting uh, stuff. Looking uh, very curious about the results here too. Uh, I just want to say uh, we just decided uh, behind the backs of the two presenters to keep uh, <laughs> to keep this channel open after four uh, for people who just want to chat a bit more. And hopefully the uh, the authors can can still uh, join us at that time, even though it's beyond bedtime for Haley. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, um, questions, there's one. Alex Nye, thanks Christian, cool stuff. I wonder whether the models at the parliament level should account more decisively for political dynamics in the country. Most notably the level of political conflict, quite likely to drive a harsher rhetoric overall. What are your thoughts? Um. Uh, thanks, Alessandro. Um, that's that's actually that's a very good point. Um, um, yeah, that's that's definitely something to consider. Um, that I think, yeah, that might that can be expected that the level of conflict um, um, drives the rhetoric as well. Yeah. How are you? How are you going to measure these conservatism measures you talked about? Are those independent of the text or included in the text? Right. Um, so they're they're not measured from the text. So I didn't mention now all the data sources that I use for my independent variables. Um, but the conservatism um, I would measure um, on the party level from manifesto data, and I'm looking at uh, cultural conservatism and not conserv not conservatism overall. So I'm not looking at, for instance, economic conservatism. Um, because some other work has shown that, that political rhetoric is more related to, to the cultural dimension of the left-right ideology. And I'm going to measure it from the manifesto data that looks at how much attention 
is being given in party manifestos to, um, to issues that have been coded as being um, either culturally conservative or culturally liberal. Okay. I was thinking that maybe you could use that to, to make a measure of polarization that is independent of the text. You mean polarization? Oh, you mean that the, the conflict? The... Uh, sorry, yeah, the conflict. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it basically would mean basically it, 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 you could also coin it polarization in that sense, right? Um, but yes, that, that's yeah. it. Okay, uh, question from Nico Berg. Hi, Christian. Nice to see how your work developed and it did. I was interested in the model. Okay, there are three questions. Shall we go one by one? <laughs> Do you plan to include fixed effects per individual? Um, yes, so I will, I will nest individuals. So I will nest the observations in individuals and also the individuals in parties for, for the individual level model. Question two, can you explain why cultural conservatism is relevant? Uh, I think I just did that in, 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 the, in the previous chat. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry, yeah. my, my, my mistake, yeah. Uh, third question, uh, regarding the relevance of your effects, might it be useful to look at the amount of variation explained across models? Hmm. Well, in, in, in terms of the individual level models um, where, 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 where I think this, this issue is, is most prevalent and most interesting. Um, well, across models you mean uh, between countries then, I guess. Um, yes, I think that's interesting to, to look at, but, but, but I think the issue here is there um, that, that countries are, are so different from each other. So I'm not really sure what that comparison really would tell me if you compare um, the results from models across countries. Um, because it's not only, because it's not only, um, it's not only um, the, 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 the independent variables that are different between countries, but it's also that, that languages are different, political systems are different, et cetera. Uh, Christian and Nico writes, including different dependent variables and compare which variables explain most variants. I'm not sure. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Countries. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, that's definitely something I'm going to look at just to, um, to see, um, what, what are, what are the main drivers between the development of emotions over time? Absolutely. That's what I'm doing, of course. And that's also why I, why I standardize, um, all, all measures so I can, so I can compare between, so I can rank the effects of the, of the different IVs. Yeah. Okay. There's a question from Sana in the chat box. How many times have you been here, Sana? Hi, Christian. Very impressive stuff. You asked me earlier about how this might relate to representation theory. What were you thinking of specifically? Oh, this, this is an interesting uh, <laughs> question. Also, are you planning on checking for gender differences between language, language used by female and male politicians? Oops. I think that last part referred to having been posted in the chat box. Yeah. 
Um, well, first, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sunday. We had a, a quick talk about it yesterday when I asked, when I asked you about um, um, asking you about representation theory. <laughs> um, I'm not sure at this point, uh, but I think um, I think it's an interesting. I think it would be an interesting finding to see um, that how 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 the, how how language that 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 we use in in society um relates to the language politicians speak and how if that if that might be interesting from a representation point of view if politicians um it would be interesting to see that that, that if 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 society expresses more positivity in their texts and politicians if politicians are reacting to that or not um so, um, but we had a talk today, yesterday and today already. So you, you're gonna point me to, to, towards some interesting resources on that. And the second uh, question on gender, um, yes. So I didn't, I think I didn't mention it now um, when I was talking about um, my, my control variables that I'm all looking at. Um, so I'm definitely, first of all, control for gender. Um, I think it would be very interesting to, to look at gender difference in itself. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure that's that would be that's a different study to do that. But I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to look at this recent uh, publication in the HAPS by yeah. uh, Ratil and you know it already. Yeah. Okay, so for the other people who don't know it, Ratil and Wolkenstein have written sort of this paper on how essentially how empirical political scientists could study representation in different ways than, than is done currently. Uh, seems like a very interesting piece. All right. Uh, thanks, Bert. Uh, Bert has a question. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a, maybe it's actually a question for Sanna, but I'm going to ask it to you, Christian, but what would the expected gender differences be then? Like, you know, it's, there's always, so I'm wondering what, in what way would there be uh, differences and why? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think that the, the classic, the classic, I'm, I'm not, but the first thing is I have no expectations about um, the polarity dimension. I wouldn't, I, I, I don't know what to, what I would expect here. Um, but in terms of arousal, the expectation would be, um, in terms of arousal expectation would be that um, that uh, women show less or would well there yeah there, there are two expectations actually I mean one is that um, that, that women when they enter politics they're supposed to to show less emotion to talk less emotional um, um, yeah but I but that's what that's what I mean by it would be, I think it would be um, it would be a good point to study that as a as an as a as a study in itself because it's a it's a more complex question to ask to answer than just throwing a gender variable into the models here. Yeah, maybe maybe a suggestion is that uh, on a different sort of dynamic, uh, uh, Isabella and I both read uh, Devin Phoenix's uh, book, The Anger Gap, where where he argues that it's in the U.S. context there's a racial difference, and but he argues in a similar way that there are sort of expectation patterns that would make it for uh, African-Americans um, less uh, uh, accepted to express a certain anger uh, um, um, 
as a show anger in the domain of politics. So you know, you could you could think a little. That's a that's about race, but you you're arguing a little bit along the same lines yeah. for for gender, and I think that could that could be interesting uh, uh, to also maybe not for this pre-analysis plan, but in general to pre-register because there might be some expectations, and then you know it might might be there, might not be there. Yeah. Um, there are uh, no uh, open questions, but there is uh, time for one or two, if they're short, uh, questions. Uh, oh, wait, there's a question. Anonymous attendee. As a future direction after you run the study, I think it would be cool to run some topic models or text analysis. That way you could show what the polarity and the sentiment are directed at. Well, I think you have a, we'll have a good answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's actually very much related to the measurement of, of our dependent variable that we're using here. So um, in a different project, we're working on, on this method where we are getting sentiment estimates um, for, um, for specific topics from text. So that's exactly what, um, well, in this study, uh, what I'm proposing here is that I control for topics so that we, we get these estimates for the text, but just controlling for it. Um, but yes, um, that's super interesting also to, to look at how a sentiment and or the arousal, also the arousal that is directed at, at different issues um, is driving overall results. Very interesting, yeah. Would it be not an idea to, instead of controlling for it, to subset for it? What do you mean by subset? Subsetting by topic. Oh, you mean like the, the overall, um, the, you mean the, the data sources and to have different, have a model for each topic? Yeah. 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 Think about it. There's one good last question uh, from Nicholas Lowitz. It might be too difficult, but will you control for class? Maybe looking at educational background. As I mentioned, class would influence the language used Think of Jacob Rees-Mogg in the UK Parliament, for example. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think um, I'm controlling for. Well, I'm not controlling for education yet, um, but um, that might be interesting to look at. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, in, for a different project, we looked at education uh, 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 in, in, in relation to linguistic complexity of speeches, and actually, it didn't really do something. Uh, but there was definitely there's some work that that yeah, and especially in the UK context, that makes you yeah that that, that that makes it likely that there is such an effect. But yeah, but but, I, but but for instance, but for instance, this example here. Um, I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg talks very different from from a from a South Londoner, um, but he doesn't talk so much different from 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 other parliamentarians in the in the UK. So I'm not sure if 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 there's so much different to be found in that when you just look at parliamentary speeches. Okay, uh, time's up. Thanks, Christian. Uh, Bert, you want to do? Uh, you want to announce the next? Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, also, Christian. Thanks for uh, excellent talk, and uh, I think also. Uh, uh, that that your your idea to pre-register uh, this sort of uh, 
text text based uh, work is uh, is is really valuable, and uh, I think it's what we should be doing because there's a lot of postdoc explanations that we can fit to uh, to all sorts of uh, uh, findings that we have. So announcing them a priori is uh, uh, excellent. Um, a couple of uh, announcements we have, uh, I think, uh, exciting uh, months ahead of us. Uh, on October 2nd, so that's next week, uh, Lina Aru from uh, Aru's University will talk about uh, her new work on uh, sort of how evolutionary psychology can help us understand the spread of information. Um, uh, and then the week after, Manos Trakiris from Royal Holloway, psychologists will talk about uh, visceral politics. Uh, the week after, the 16th, Robert Clemenson from University of Southern Denmark will talk about um, his work on elite personality. Uh, the week after, we have a holiday break. Uh, and then the end of the month, we have uh, presentations by Isabella Ribasso on uh, the, the causes of uh, anger and anxiety. And uh, a, a master student of mine, Neil Fashing, will talk about his replication project on childhood personality and um, uh, ideology in later life and uh, the weeks after I think uh, good to announce we have some excellent speakers among others uh, Jen Jarrett who is at Dartmouth at the moment Ashley Jardina uh, uh, on white identity politics so I think there's a lot uh, for you to return to the hot politics lab in the coming weeks and if you cannot make it you can always uh, watch our recordings or listen to them uh, via all sorts of social media platforms uh, which you can find on our website